the best intro ever. She loves us. We love her. That's, that'll do, Kathy. Thank you. All right. Women of a certain age like me, over 65, you don't even have to look outside to know when the weather's changing because every joint in your body is like a weather alert on your phone. My left hip is the best weather forecaster of anything else. I realize that when I'm driving in today, I'm like, why do I feel so achy? I'm like, because the weather's going to change. Yeah, tomorrow you're going to wake up and it's going to be winter again for a day. And then it'll be summer the next day. So welcome to Texas. Yeah, it's crazy. First John chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read the first 12 verses. First John chapter 5, verse 12. I'm reading from the New International Version. Yours, you may have slightly different words if you're reading from a different translation. Maybe you have the Christian Standard Bible or you have whatever. But I'm reading from the old NIV. So 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God which is given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son accepts his testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. All right, so you have your notes today, and I gave you fill-ins. I I wanted to end on a good note with you and be asked back someday. So I gave you some fill-ins. I know how important they are to you. Uh, So we're going to look at John. Uh, You see the introduction, John the Apostle of Believing and Loving. That's your first fill-in, Believing and Loving. You can put to the side and Obeying. So there's actually three strands you'll find in 1 John and in his other books, believing, loving, and obeying, or keeping his commands as he says it here. So John is the apostle of believing and loving and obeying. Now this was not always what you would have expected from John because first of all, of his challenging character, that's right under believing and loving. You see that C, challenging character. And I've quoted for you parts of Luke chapter 9, verses 52 to 56. Do you know John and his brother were called the Sons of Thunder? They weren't a motorcycle gang. They were just like boisterous guys. They they were characters, right? In fact, one of them said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy these people? So John wasn't like meek and mild, John, love one another. He was, I can call fire down from heaven and destroy people. 
because who likes the Samaritans anyway? So John needed some transformation. Can we all agree that he needed a little bit of Jesus rubbing off on him a little bit, right? But we also know that he's the apostle of believing and loving because of his closeness at the supper. So that's your second fill in, the closeness at the supper. John 13, 23 says, the disciple whom Jesus loved was reclining on his chest, your version might say on his right or next to him. But there was a proximity. John is on at his right-hand man. So he's this apostle of loving because he had this relationship with Jesus. He had a closeness with Jesus. And then he's the apostle of believing, loving, and obeying because of the closing of his gospel. The gospel of John says, and these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that in believing, you might have life in his name. So he's he's emphasizing, he writes more about these things than any other New Testament writer. And then he's also the apostle believing, loving, and obeying by his courageous act of discipleship. Do you know John went along with all the other apostles and ran away when Jesus was arrested? But then when you get to the cross, you see the women around the cross, and you see standing near the women who are standing at the feet of the cross is John. He comes back. It was a courageous act. And then in another courageous act, he takes Jesus' mother as his own. Imagine trying to blend into the first century crowd when you have Jesus' mother hanging around with you everywhere you go. He went to Ephesus, John, later in his life to become the bishop or overseer of churches there, and Mary went with him. So Mary was a part of his family. You ever think Jesus could have given his mother to his other four brothers? He had four half-brothers. James wrote the book of James, Jude wrote the book of Jude, and then there's two other guys. But they didn't get his mom. The sisters Jesus had, the half-sisters, they didn't get the mom. John, the beloved disciple, got the mom. And I think this is Jesus saying, your Jesus' blood relationships in the family of God are even closer than your family blood relationships. And I wish we understood that. Because as a single woman my entire life, that truth has kept me in the church. Because my closest relationships are my Christian sisters. It's so beautiful. So John had a lot of transformation to do. I just wanted to remind you a little bit of his character and and what he went through. All right, so let's look at the actual text. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12, and I'm at number 2, and it says what? And I want you to note the repeating phrase throughout these 12 verses, this is, that's your fill-in, this is. So if I were you, and I was a good Bible student, I would have gone through this text and circled every time, or with a highlighter, gone this is, this is, who is, anything with that is a structural marker. You want to pay attention to repeating things when you read the Bible, because repetition is theological glue. He's trying to get you to know something. Right, So as a good Bible student, be aware, read with understanding and with your eyes open. In fact, pray and ask God to open your eyes to structure in the scripture because structure is going to help you understand it and unwrap it. So verses 1 through 3 is talking about believing and loving. 
verses one through three, talks about believing and loving. Verse one, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So basically, all who believe in Jesus Christ, we talked about that last week, Jesus Christ, those are not his first and last name, but they are a title. Jesus is the one who saves, and Christ is the anointed one. Remember the Gnostic heresy that was coming into the church at this time was teaching that Jesus was a human man. At his baptism, the spirit of Christ came on him, and then right when he was about to die, that spirit left him. So he died a human being and he was born a human being and somewhere in between, he became the Christ. And this was a tricky heresy. It sounded really good to people. And so this is John trying to say, Jesus Christ, you believe in both the human son of God, son of man. He's both. He's one person with these two realities about him, fully human, fully divine. That's, we can't even make that happen in our brains, right? It's a matter of faith, believing it. And so that's how he starts out. And then he says, everyone who loves a father loves his child as well. You know, when you love the father, you love his children. If I say I love the father and I hate y'all, that's no good. Make me question, do I love the father? So I was telling Sissy when I came in, I got a little sideways with a sister whom I love dearly on an email. And I didn't, I asked a question that now that I'm sitting in her seat, when I put myself in her seat, would sound a little accusatory and I didn't mean it that way. But I could tell by her text response, you ever get one of those? Normally there's emojis and all of a sudden there's periods. And very formal language, you know you've hit somebody's sore spot, right? You can tell in a text. You don't even need the body language anymore. You can tell. And she means something to me. She's a sister. So if I say I love the Father, I have to love my sister as well. So I have to take action on that and apologize to her and say, this is, I'm sure, what it sounded like to you. and And I'm so sorry. And here's what I appreciate about you. But taking short accounts and keeping our love for the Father in mind that the way we show that love is the love for his children who are made in the image of God. So we want to keep those short accounts. When you love the Father, you love his children. I put John 1.12 there because if you look back in the Gospel of John, in fact, let's go there. If you can hold yourself in 1 John Let's look back quickly to John 1.12. The Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you remember that? Okay. Gospel of John, and John 1.12 says this. Everybody with me? Okay. Yet to all who did receive him, speaking of Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus Christ, to those... He gave the right or the authority to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, verse 13 goes on to say, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So the people get to call themselves the children of God and to ascribe, that's my father, father, father God is my father. The people who get to say that have come into that relationship by faith, believing in Jesus the Christ. 
There's only one way to be a child of God that's believing in Jesus the Christ. Verse two, this is, okay, I would put a little circle around that. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. So we know we love God's children because we love and obey God who is their father. So now he's just saying, verses one and two, and he's saying it in a slightly different way from verse one. He's turning it around. Verse three, this is love for God to keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. Now remember, John is writing this and he's thinking about being in the upper room. Do you remember the Last Supper? We call it the Last Supper, right? And they're all in the upper room and they're having the last Passover together, actually. And then at the end, Jesus takes one of the cups in the Passover and he transforms it into a little thing that we call the Eucharist or communion. That's what we celebrate. Now, we don't celebrate Passover, but we celebrate this thing called communion, which is kind of a derivative of that same Passover meal. He's saying, this cup, one of the cups of the Passover, I believe it's a cup of redemption, is my covenant in my blood. And this unleavened bread over here, which I don't know, is yours crackers? We were doing goldfish at one time, just as a fun thing one time, just to mess people. So this is the unleavened bread that was sitting there for the Passover. So John has this in his head, like he's not... He doesn't have to call it up. He was right there. He was right there. In the upper room, John heard Jesus' commands to love one another firsthand. So in the context of them going through this Passover, they've gone over so many times, he's talking to them about loving one another. And he's saying, this is how people are going to know that I sent you. They're not going to know it from your preaching. In fact, John never has a sermon recorded in the New Testament. And John never speaks. I think he testifies in Acts. He's Peter, James, and John are testifying in the, one of the temple courts, but there's no sermons of John in the book of Acts. He never really says anything. He says a lot when he gets down to writing. You know, he wrote in the latter part of his years, all you girls of a certain age like me, he did all of his writing then. So 65 and up. He's writing gospels, he's writing letters, he's confusing you with 1 John. He did all of that, 2 John, 3 John, all of that when he was older. But he's sitting there living, listening to Jesus say, love one another. And then 50 years later, when John writes us, he still has not found the commands of Jesus burdensome. That's pretty cool. For somebody at that advanced age who's seen it all and heard it all and done it all and has Jesus' mother around. The commands of Jesus are not burdensome. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, I have it written there for you. Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember the famous verses where he says, come to me, all you labor and a heavy laden, right? And I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's in the yoke with us and he's carrying the weight and we can trust him. Romans 5, 5 says, God's love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we don't even have to gin up the love of God in our hearts. It's already being poured through you. Tap in to what's already being poured out. 
So Jesus has given us everything we need to obey his commands. It's not dependent on us. It's dependent on trusting him, believing him. Faith is the victory, he's going to say in a minute. All right, verses, uh, letter B, verses 4 and 5. Believing and overcoming. Believing and overcoming. Verse 4, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm making four little comments there, just taking little sections and snippets out of those verses. Born of God is literally uh, the preposition ek, so what that means is that it's a, it's a word of origin. It means to come out of or out from. So born of God means you're coming out of God. So it's like a father and his child pops out a child, right? So <laughs> it's of the father. You're born out of God. You share, First Peter, 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4, you share the divine nature. Jesus says we're made partakers of his divine nature. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. You're born again with being a partaker of the divine nature. That's pretty cool. You have everything you need for life and godliness, he says in First Peter, 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. Then overcomes. Uh, I have a friend named Nika Spaulding. I don't even know if you know Nika Spaulding. She's down at St. Jude. She's the resident theologian. She's wonderful. Great teacher. I never knew until I was this many years old that her, word, her name is a Greek word that means victory. And so the Greek word is Nika, and it's a verb form meaning to subdue or conquer. And Nika does slay. My friend does slay. I mean, she really does. When she teaches, it's pretty powerful. Overcomes is the word nika. So is victory. It's the same thing except it's a noun form. It's a noun referring to the means of success. So if the verb says to subdue or conquer, then the, the noun is this is the means of how you get there. And then faith is showing the actual means of the victory, which is referring to trust, belief, or confidence. Pistis is a word that means faith, trust, belief, or confidence. So the person who is born out of God overcomes the world, subdues the challenges. So think of the challenges you're facing right now. You have overcome those things. The world, the flesh, the devil, we've overcome them because Christ has overcome them and we're in Christ. So you're bigger than all the challenges you say are holding you back today. You're bigger than that. You're better than that because you're a believer in Jesus and you've been given his victory. You overcome the world through the victory that is faith. Trust in Jesus is how you get to heaven. Trust in Jesus is how you live your life. It doesn't change. How you came to faith is how you live out your faith. That's so simple, even I can do it. I don't have to learn a bunch of extra stuff. There's not a lot of extra stuff. How you come to faith is how you live out your faith, by trusting in Jesus. So if something's in your way today, have you had a convo 
with Jesus Christ about it. Say, Jesus, this is standing in our way, I think. What do you think? And he's going to say to you, trust me. Tell me all about it, and then trust me. And the next thing you hear is probably an indication of what I want you to do. And that first thing, we usually resist. Because we don't want to do it. We want salvation and to be our own Lord. That's what we want. That's what the flesh is constantly at war with us to be. To have salvation as a thing in our pocket for when we die, by and by, pie in the sky. I'm going to cash this in when I'm as old as Joanne. I'm going to cash it in. And Jesus never meant that only. The salvation Actually, you're living your eternal life now. You don't get to cash it in. You're actually living it today, and you haven't even died yet. Except to flesh and self and our own desires. That's the death we die in this life. Salvation isn't a thing. It's a life. Oh, I'm going to get to preaching now. I should take up an offering because now you're primed. No, just kidding. Just kidding. How do believers overcome the world? I've written in that brown color. By believing Jesus as the Son of God. The faith of the believer is the victory that overcomes. Every believer is an overcomer and is victorious because they have eternal life in Christ and abundant life now and put this, and they trust in Jesus. You trust him in the big things. You trust him in the small things. Trust this active that's how John mostly uses that word faith. He doesn't use it mostly as a noun. He uses it mostly in the active sense as a verb to trust and rely on. All right, C, believing and the testimony. Believing and the testimony. Jewish law stipulated two to three witnesses were needed to establish the truth. There's a scripture that goes with that. Here's the verses. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He didn't come by water only, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For these are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. Water can refer to either the birth, because we're born and water comes out, right? And, or his baptism. Remember the Gnostics said when Jesus was baptized, he becomes the Christ. John could be saying he's the Christ born of water in a water birth. You get to decide what you think that represents. I, I go with the birth, but that's okay. Blood refers to either birth, because blood comes out also at birth, blood and water. It could also refer to the death of Jesus, the crucifixion, because John 19.34 says blood and water came from Jesus' side. When they pushed the spear in to check if he was still alive, what comes out is blood and water separated. 
So there's blood and water at the birth. There's, there's water at the baptism. There's blood and water at the crucifixion. I think what John is saying, he's Jesus from his birth all the way to his death. He doesn't become something and then it leaves him. He's him and total son of man, son of God from the time he took his first cry and even before that in the womb at conception, he was from the spirit. But if you want stuff to look at in this human world, look at the water and look at the blood. And those are great witnesses. And then he goes on the next verse and he says, but the spirit is the best witness of all. He's number three. He's the eyewitness that you're filling of everything. The spirit saw it all and I've listed out for you. The the spirit was there at Jesus' birth. The spirit was there at his baptism. Spirit was there at his crucifixion. The spirit is there at his resurrection. And the spirit is there when the spirit is poured out by Jesus in Acts chapter two. There's one person who saw it all, God. His witness is what we should believe. What John is saying to these people kind of going into the Gnostics and being drawn away, he's like, yeah, we have all the witnesses that the law requires. We have the water and the blood, but why don't you believe the witness of God? That's the only witness you actually need is what God says about himself. And then I would put a fourth witness here. It isn't apparent in the text, but you and I are witnesses, aren't we? Jesus says in Acts 1.8, before he goes back to heaven, in his ascension, he goes, you are my witnesses. Now we are the living witnesses. The flesh and the blood are witnesses to who Jesus Christ truly is. Turn the page. All right, get ready. We have five minutes. All right. So Jesus points to the one testimony that's needed, which is God's. All right, D, verses 9 through 12, believing the bottom line, believing the bottom line. Let me read it, verse uh, 8, uh, verse 9. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts his testimony. Whoever doesn't believe has made him out to be a liar. Serious business, because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. God publicly testified that Jesus was his beloved son. To reject God's testimony about Jesus is calling God a liar, because God can't lie. There's the scriptures there in Numbers and Titus and Hebrews that God cannot lie. Here's the first testimony of God about Jesus and who he is as baptism. And if you look at it, all three members of the Trinity are there. The Father speaks, the dove comes, the dove is a representation of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is there getting dunked. All three of them. And then again at the Mount of Transfiguration, here's the scriptures if you want to do some more about that. So Jesus is up there at the Mount of Transfiguration with John. He's always there. He never says anything, but he's always there. He's like the the wallpaper, you know, he's watching it all and treasuring it like Mary. And then there's Peter and James, and John, right? So the two brothers and Peter, and they're with Jesus, and all of that stuff happens that you can read about in those scriptures, but the voice of God says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Boy, there's a verse to memorize. If you ever find yourself listening to the flesh, memorize that verse and go, this is my beloved son. Joanne, listen to him, listen to him. That's who you listen to. Listen to him. 
Verse 11, and this is the testimony. Oh, now we get the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever doesn't have the son of God does not have life. God's testimony, Jesus' son, savior, and source of eternal life. Wow. Eternal life is a gift from God. Eternal life is in his son. Eternal life is for those who have Jesus, and whoever hasn't, doesn't. If you don't have Jesus as your savior, you don't have eternal life. You can take that to the bank. That's not your opinion. That's not my opinion. That's not not being inclusive. That's being biblical and what God said. So what? John wrote about loving and believing more than any other New Testament writers. He wrote about loving and believing. Of the 250 times the verb believe is used in the New Testament, nearly half occur in John's gospel, over 100 times in the active form. Believe, 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 believe. Trust, rely. John's preference for describing love in his writings is agape and phileo. And so I have a little chart in here from Biblical Hermeneutics Stack Exchange. You can see the blue represents the word agape, which is this, this love that really um, the New Testament writers really began to develop that concept and saw the love of God in the selfless sacrifice of Jesus. So this is a love that doesn't require the loved object to earn the love. The love just comes because the lover loves And so the New Testament writers took this obscure Greek word in the first century and started to use it to really blow out this concept. And John fully uses this word. And then phileo, you can see, is is, it's brotherly love. It's sisterly love. It's I love you, you love me. We're in the same family. We have the same daddy. This is brotherly love. This is how we love one another. Now what? Well, Acts 16.31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So if he's the apostle of believing and loving and obeying, I think the question is, have you believed? So have you believed in Jesus as your savior? (laughs) I was in Bible college. I went to Bible college to become a Bible. And, um, you know, you go to med school, become a doctor, law school to become a lawyer. I went to Bible school to be a Bible And uh, when I was in Bible school, I did a lot of uh, teaching for kids' Bible clubhouses. I was a children's pastor. I always wanted to be that, and so I love kids. I was trained to do it, and I had a bunch, a cadre of us women and a few guys who were really interested in kids' ministry. And one of our best teachers and Bible school or Bible clubhouse, we called them, Bible clubhouse leaders, was a really kind of a powerful gal. And so we had asked her to, uh, we had this big training going on for all of the helpers and the people interested. And we asked her to get up and share her testimony because she was really a powerful speaker. And uh, she came to me a couple of nights beforehand and she said, Joanne, I was practicing the gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. She was using the wordless book. Have you ever seen the book of colors we use with kids? You know, where you have the red page and the gold page. If you've never seen it, it's really easy for kids to understand. She said, I was going through that presentation and I led myself to Christ. She got to the page. There's a page that is colorless. 
it's transparent and translucent and it's a beautiful difference from the page that's dark and murky like our sin. And then when you come through the red page, which is the page of Jesus' blood, and you get to the clean page, which represents the forgiveness of sin. She said, I was walking through that and I, I led myself to Jesus. I didn't mean to, but I did. She went through years of Bible school and didn't know. It's possible that there's someone here or someone that listens to this teaching that isn't able to be here today, but will listen to it later. You may have all the answers. You may have really studied the Bible. It's not that. Salvation comes from Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It's not go to Bible study. It's not give money. It's not go to church. It's not serve. It's not even love one another. Your salvation is dependent upon what you do with Jesus. Have you believed in him? I'm guessing every one of you says yes, and I think that's awesome. There could be some folks who go, I'm not really sure. And if you're not sure, please talk to Sissy or Kathy or any of your group leader, anybody. Because that's the most important decision in your life. Your eternal life depends on it. And then the second question would be, if he's the apostle of believing and loving, what inhibits you from living love to yourself? Like, you know, John called himself the beloved. John never actually puts his name on anything. If you notice in all these letters, he doesn't say, hey, this is John. I'm sending you greetings from my, you know, my RV and Mary's in the back seat. You know, it's none of that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't put his name anywhere, but he calls himself the one whom Jesus loved, the beloved disciple. Somehow, John learned the secret of living loved. Oh, that's a message for today, isn't it? Most women I've met, me included, are experts at living kind of hated. We don't like ourselves very much. We think of the thousand ways we could be better, skinnier, taller, blonder, better, all the things. We lack love for ourselves. If God loves you, why can't you, Joanne, love yourself? Live loved. Because when you live loved, you love others. Because it flows out of you. So what is keeping you from living loved and loving others? Those two are connected. Those who live loved love others. Those who don't love others, I would suspect it's because there's something keeping you from living loved. That's my challenge. Here's a conclusion. Oh, man, I'm three minutes over. All right. John the Evangelist lived in Ephesus, so he was exiled to Patmos. I was there in the Greek islands. We sang worship songs in Patmos. You go through the little cave and you see... John's not in there, by the way. He, but he's old. He gets put there by the emperor Domitian, and he's in there probably one to three years, and that's where he writes the book of Revelation. How he wrote it in there, I don't know. Without electricity and a good pencil sharpener, I don't know. I, I don't know. But he did. He wrote all of his stuff at the end of his life. But then he's released in his elderly, elderly years and after the, the pain of exile, and he's released back to Ephesus where he's considered a bishop or an overseer of many churches there. So he lived there until his extreme old age. So he's one of us girls. 
His disciples could barely carry him to church, so they carry him around like on a little litter or a stretcher. And his continual admonition was, little children love one another. Can you, like his old gravelly voice, can you, can you, little children love one another. You know, like he's trying to get his lungs to push out enough air. You know, he's pretty, pretty old. And they would ask, teacher, they're a little annoyed. Teacher, why do you always say like the same thing? Like you're on repeat. You know, can you, like something's jammed, you know, can you move on? And then he says, uh, because it's the Lord's commandment, and if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. Wow. To love one another is sufficient. And this is St. Jerome in the fourth century. There's so much more I could tell you. I have so many more little fun notes on here, but I am over, so let me pray. Father, thank you for this uh, beautiful letter of 1 John. It's written generally, it's a general circulation letter. It's not written to a specific church because I think John was wise enough to say every Christian needs to read what I've written and think it's to them. And Lord, as these ladies walk out the door today, I want them to be thinking two things. Have I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? And I'm not asking that question to make people doubt their faith. I'm asking you to ask Jesus that question. Jesus, have I trusted in you? And Holy Spirit, if people have, and most people in this room will have, then send that confirmation and affirmation that only you can give. You are the eyewitness. You were there. And then that second question. Jesus, what's inhibiting me from living loved and loving others, and someone's going to pop into your mind and start there. We love you, Jesus, and thank you for your word. And everybody said, amen. Amen.